We've been uh, diving into a series here in 2 Corinthians uh, where we're talking about some hard things. They're hard to hear and hard to apply. And today, likewise, we will be leaving with a challenge to uh, seek to apply these truths in our own lives. And, um, you know, uh, we're going to be talking once again about um, giving and uh, God's expectations on giving and his heartbeat on giving. And we should recognize as we gather together that in, in our gathering today, there's going to be people coming from all kinds of points of views. Uh, and uh, when we talk about giving, um, you know, it, it kind of it affects everyone a wee bit differently. You know, uh, if you're here uh, at church for the very first time, uh, the, the thought of giving, or if you've never been to a church, even that, it's, it's a foreign concept. Uh, you know, uh, uh, about six months ago, I was sitting here with uh, one of my boys, and it was kind of, uh, it, was, it was hilarious to me. Uh, you know, he, he typically is at the back in the children's ministry, and, and this week he was with me, and, and the plates went around, and he had never seen that before. That, he had never seen the, the offering plates go around. That was a new concept for him, and we're about the third row here over on the side here, and oh, it was so funny because the plate comes, and someone had put a $5 bill in on the top. And so he looks at it, and he reaches in to grab the $5 bill. <laughs> he thought that we were handing out a plate to kind of pay everyone. If you need anything, you just reach in, you, you take, <laughs> take what you want. It was, it was so precious and innocent, right? And I'm sitting beside him. Nothing like the pastor kid reaching in the plate, eh, you know? <laughs> so I said, hey, no, no you. And it was so precious, right, because he's like, oh. You know, oh, oh, right. And then he looks back and he sees all these people behind us. And it was kind of this look of like, yeah, you're right, Dad. They may need it more than I do. I better leave it in there in case someone else takes it. <laughs> oh, it was great, you know. Giving, you know, we gather together and, I, I mean, maybe, maybe uh, as we handed the plate, the first time you've ever experienced that. For some here today, that, that may be a new uh, reality if it's your first time uh, in the church. For others, you know, the reality is, um, you know, giving, maybe you've heard messages on it, you felt a bit manipulated, you have a bad taste in your mouth, and so we start talking about giving, and all of a sudden, you, you get a little bit like this, and, and that may be your reality. For some, maybe you're a new believer in Christ, and, um, you know, uh, you didn't realize that, that following Jesus, he speaks about um, giving, and this may be new for you. For others, uh, you've been going to the church, you've, you've given every uh, week, as long as you can remember, it's a part of your routine, and uh, in some ways, maybe you don't even think about it anymore, it's just, it, it is what it is, you just do it. Uh, Irregardless, as we talk about uh, these realities uh, today, let's recognize that we all come with a worldview. Uh, we all come with experiences, and we're going to filter what we hear based on those worldviews that we have, those experiences we have. But also in the midst of that, let's also try to recognize that, that God would like to speak into our lives uh, here. He's active. And he knows you by name. Uh, he knows uh, the truth. Uh, and he wants to set you free. 
And so as much as you are able and as I am able, let's try and come with a posture of an open heart to hear from God and to allow him to speak to us. Let's, let's dive into the scriptures. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me give a bit of context here. Uh, we've been journeying through this last week. We, we focused in on uh, Easter, and we talked about the death and resurrection of Christ. We celebrated that. But before that, let's remember some of the key points. Paul's intention with the church of Corinth. He's struggling with the church of Corinth. They are wondering if he's an apostle. He's poor. He's uh, earning his keep with tents and building tents. He's weak in many ways, and they're wondering, how can this guy be our leader? And Paul's trying to help the church of Corinth understand that in our weakness, he's made strong. Now, that's where we find our strength. And so we need to learn to glory in our weakness. That it's all about the gospel and about Jesus Christ and his transforming work in us. And not only in us, but through us to those around us. It's what Christ is doing. In chapter 8, we, we get a transition in the text because we see that he wants to encourage the church to give and to make good on their promise to give. You see, historically what's happening here is uh, Claudius is the emperor. He's ruling Rome. And history tells us there was three famines during the reign of Claudius. The one that's being dealt with here is the second famine. Uh, it was in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was suffering greatly because of the famine. Uh, the churches had heard about this, and uh, in particular, Church of Corinth, and they make a commitment. They say, let's gather our resources together to help the kingdom advance in Jerusalem. Let's help the church there as they seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so then Paul gives some instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. He says, in order to accomplish the goal of helping the church in Jerusalem, every week when you gather together... Take up an offering, put it aside, store it up. After some time, we'll come and get it and we'll take it to Jerusalem. And so in chapter 8, Paul says, now you started with this sense of urgency. You started with this great enthusiasm. You've made some commitments. Follow through. And he says, give out of what you have, not out of debt, and follow the example of Christ who left the glory of heaven, came and dwelt among us. Give sacrificially. And then we learned the week following from Pastor Artis. He talked about Titus who was the go-between, the pastor's heart, who was, who was bringing the message and the resources together. And so here we are in chapter 9. Paul's going to expand on these concepts. Verse 6, if you have your Bibles open, let's read. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, for it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every good way to be generous. Sorry, in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to, uh, for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. Let's pray. Father, you know the journey we're on, and you know the area of our lives that need clarity. Um, Lord, we long that this morning you would redeem the time, that you would bring healing to our brokenness, that you would bring clarity to areas of our lives that are clouded, Lord, that you would redeem the time for your honor and glory. And so, Spirit of the living God, we pray afresh that you would fall on us again. And that you would manifest your presence. That we would leave this place knowing that we've encountered you. The one true God, the author and perfecter of our faith. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul traditionally, as he goes through uh, the book of uh, Corinth, he, uh, Corinthians, I'm sorry, he, he typically starts with the gospel. In other words, how he starts is, by and large, he says, listen, because Christ died on the cross, uh, because he is our great general, because he is sufficient, he's more than enough, because Christ has come and, and brought transformation to our lives, now live in light of this. It's usually how he, he begins his uh, text, his issues as he deals with. And all the way through the book of Corinthians, you see this theme. Because of the cross, because of the gospel, and its work in your life, this is what's going to happen. That's how it happens. But here, Paul kind of turns it around. He shifts it a wee bit. Notice that at the end of the text, he starts talking about the sufficiency of the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ. And he begins with just some clarifying details. He begins by uh, explaining the need that they have to follow through with what they're committed to. I didn't read the first five verses for time's sake, but we're going to just kind of quickly dive through them and and get a sense of what they're saying. Paul begins in chapter 9, verse 1, and basically what he's saying here is there's, there's no need for me to write to you about the service to the saints. In other words, you get this, the church of Corinth. So so I understand you get it, but we need a little more clarity. And he goes on to say this, For I know your readiness, of which I've boasted to uh, the people of Macedonia, saying that you, know, that you have a zeal that it's, it, 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 that, that, uh, to help the church in Jerusalem. And that has affected the church in Macedonia. See, Paul is up in Macedonia, up in the north. He's, he's away from the church of Corinth, and he's enthusiastic. He's excited about what Christ is doing in the church of Corinth. He's excited that their, their understanding of the world and of the kingdom is broader than just their local work. 
You see, the church of Corinth hears that in Jerusalem there's this great famine and that the church is suffering and it's seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and so what happens is as they, they seek to walk alongside the church of Jerusalem, Paul's like, yes, you're getting it. It's not all about you. It's about Jesus Christ the Lord. So he's in Macedonia and he's bragging on the church of Corinth and the work that is happening in their lives because of Jesus Christ the Lord. He's bragging on him. He's telling Macedonia, he's saying, listen guys, you should see what's happening in the church of Corinth. Christ is moving. He's changing. He's transforming the people's lives. So much so that they're taking up a weekly offering to give to the church of Jerusalem who's under this great famine and great distress. He's bragging on them. But when Titus comes up and says, look, I don't know if they're still taking up the offering. I'm not sure that things are going so well with the church of Corinth. I think they've lost their enthusiasm. And so Paul, he, he begins by saying, look, I, I need you to be ready. I've been bragging about you. I need you to be prepared. I need you to follow through with your commitment. May your yes be a yes and your no be no. Your word is your bond. Follow through. Do what you said you were going to do. Paul is sharing the importance of following through on what they had committed to. He says, listen, I'm sending some brothers so that our boasting about you doesn't prove to be empty in this matter. So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. It's Paul trying to help them along. Follow through with the commitment that they've made. He's trying to prop them up in some senses and encourage them. The time is coming. The time to collect the offering to go to Jerusalem is coming. Let's make sure we finish well. He goes on, to, on, uh, goes on to say, otherwise, listen, if you aren't ready, if you don't follow through, it, it, and the Macedonians hear about this, we're going to be humiliated. Say nothing of you for being so confident. <laughs> That's neat. I, I kind of love that Paul brags on the church of Corinth and not the people, but the work that Christ is doing in the people. He's bragging on them. And yet, there's this tension because they're people and because they're broken that what happens if it doesn't all work out? Paul is using a quite a strong word, this word of humiliation. See, in our context, we're a guilt-driven society, and, and for us, right, wrong, guilt is what's of utmost importance. But we need to remember that in the ancient world, in particular in the ancient Jewish world, it was a shame-based culture. And so to bring shame or humiliation to, to your tribe, to your community, this was of the greatest distress. Paul is saying, listen, let's finish well. Let's not be humiliated. Let's do what we committed to do. Let's follow through. Not just for your sake, but also for the church of Macedonia that's following your lead in all of this. And also for the kingdom's sake, for what's happening in Jerusalem. Let's finish well. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's be the body of Christ. Let's, let's follow through with what we've said. Paul transitions from the urging to follow through into some basic principles about giving. He says, now here's the point. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul, Paul begins and starts with the truth that all giving starts first with God. He wants the people to understand that it is God who provides. He gives the sowing. He gives the seed, I'm sorry. And it's from that that we're able to then bring bountiful uh, reaping. Paul uses in chapter 8 this image of manna and the quail from Exodus chapter uh, 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about how God provided for the people during the great exodus out of Egypt with manna and with quail. He says, listen, God is a faithful God. He will provide your needs. He'll take care of you. It, it may not be luxurious. It may, not, it may not be over the top, but it will be more than enough. Uh, he points to that in chapter 8. You'll remember that as the people left Egypt and entered into the, the desert to, to go and find the promised land, that they needed God to provide, and so he did. Every morning when they would wake up, there would be manna, bread from heaven that they could enjoy. There were quail that they could eat. But that was all that was on the menu, wasn't it? If the people didn't trust that God would take care of them the next day, they, they would grab more manna than was required, more manna than was needed. But they learned quickly that the manna went bad. And it brought a stench to the camp. No, it was best to just take what you needed and trust that the next day God would provide. Paul points to that in chapter 8. But here he's using different imagery. He's using agricultural imagery. Now we live out here in the West, and, and that's good because we understand agriculture. At least a lot better than I did when I grew up. See, I grew up in the Canadian Shield, northern Ontario. The closest farm was 150 kilometers away, as far as I could tell, by Sault Ste. Marie. There was a kind of a flat area that they all would farm. I didn't grow up with farming. I didn't understand farming principles. No, it was all bush, rocks, and lakes. That's what I grew up with. When I moved out here, um, I love growing corn, and I've shared that many times, you know. And so every year in the spring, in the next couple of, I guess the next month or so, I'll, I'll get out to the garden and I'll till it up and I'll try and grow some corn again. My first few times that I grew corn, I would, you know, drag a, a line, a stick, and make a kind of a, a hole in the ground. And, and then I would go and plant one seed and then so far plant another seed and so far plant another seed. And, and you know, to a certain degree, I was successful but then I got talking to uh, Doug Jesperson, who in my mind is like the king of growing corn. I mean, I, I, I enjoy his corn every fall. It's awesome. And uh, he said to me, no, Scott, when you plant corn, you don't put one seed, go down, put one seed, go down, put one. No, 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 no. What you need to do is put four seeds in every little clump. I was like, wow, really? You can do that? He said, absolutely. Why? Because he understands the very principle that we're talking about here in Scripture. Whoever sows sparingly, one seed, one seed, one seed, will reap sparingly. But he who sows, what? Bountifully will reap bountifully. I've done it. And I've enjoyed 
much more corn, let me tell you. If you're looking for a hint on growing corn, put four seeds in. It works well. It works masterfully. You see, Paul is using this agricultural principle because all throughout the world, the truth of this principle is found. God is a God who is generous. He provides generously to the whole world. Creation declares that God is a God of generosity. He truly is. He gives in every way. He extends much to those who, what? So much. You know, I was doing some research and I was wondering about the world and, and is there enough food in this world to, to provide for everyone who lives? And so I had heard in the past that there was and that the world could be fed many times over just with the produce that is provided. I found an article uh, from a study from McGill University. It was published in the Journal of Nature where it compared organic and conventional yields from 66 studies in over 300 trials. Unfortunately, they weren't able to answer the, the question of um, the conventional wisdom addressing the real causes of hunger. But what they did find is staggering, to say the least. Hunger is caused by poverty and inequality, is what the article says, not scarcity. Why? God is a God of generosity. He created the plant. Now, this is my insertion, sorry. This is not in the article. But he's a, a God of generosity. He created the planet based on these simple principles. Now, listen to what the article says. For the past two decades, the rate of global food production has increased faster than the rate of global population growth. The world already produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone on the planet. That's enough to feed 10 billion people. That's what the world produces right now. Unbelievable. The population will peak as it is as expected in about 2050 to around 10 billion people. But the people, make le- that, people that make less than $2 a day, most of whom are resource poor farmers, cultivating unviable small plots of land can't afford to buy this food. Listen, friends, the reality that there are hungry people in the world isn't because God isn't a generous God. The truth of the matter is, if you sow generously or bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. The world proves that this point and this truth is real. God is a God who is generous in all ways. It's us who are broken. We're the issue, not God. This principle that God is a God who who gives bountifully to those who sow bountifully, it's screaming throughout all of creation. And so Paul uses this as he speaks about resources and, and our finances as well. So the question is, if God is a God who is generous, then why don't we give more? Why don't we give more? You'll remember a couple of weeks ago when I quoted a Stats Canada uh, uh, um, statistic that said uh, that as Canadians, we give $12 billion to charities. $12 billion to charities. Uh, I think it went up uh, two years following in 2014, up to $14 billion goes to charities. Remember, I threw that up on the screen. That sounds like a lot. But is it? Is it? Our federal budget, as I understand it, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure, our federal budget is $300 billion. Think about that. 
we collect taxes for a budget of 300 billion, and yet our giving as a nation is 14 billion. It's not so good. Yet Paul says when you give bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. Why, why don't we give more? Well, a few reasons come to mind. One, I think uh, that we have uh, uh, an increased debt load. Uh, CBC reported that our debt load has increased by 2.7% over this last year, where the average debt load per Canadian is about $21,000. That's what it is. In Alberta, the average consumer debt load is about $27,000. In Quebec, in comparison, it's only $17,000. Only $17,000. $17,000 in debt. Stats Canada says that the ratio uh, rose to 165% in the fourth quarter, up from 164.5% in the third quarter. That means Canadian households average, on average hold a debt of $1.65 for every dollar of disposable income. Why aren't we able to give? It's because we're, we're, uh, we are carrying or shouldering the burden of debt, by and large, as Canadians. And this has hindered us from being generous. It's hindered us from giving generously to those around us. See, at the core of our giving is the person of God. Let me just say that again. At the core issue of our giving is the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, if you go back to debt, the reason that we're so in debt is because we don't, we don't trust God. We don't know if God is going to give us the things we want. We get out of step with God. We, we start to lean in. We start to, to buy and accumulate things that, that really are beyond our means. So often we're so quick to go to the bank or to the line of credit instead of talking to God about the things that we desire. And in some senses, I think that we think that God is a killjoy, that he doesn't want to give us good things. And he certainly want, doesn't want to give us things that are fun. At the core, our, our attitude towards God reflects in this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, so too is your heart. Why don't we give? It's because I think at the core of it, we don't understand how good and generous our God is. Creation declares, declares that he is generous. As I just said, there's enough food in the planet to feed 10 billion people. And yet, and yet, we wonder if God is a good and generous God. Is that the only reason we're not generous in our giving? No. No, I think that we're also not generous in our giving because we're not sure if we can trust God. And we entrust him with the things that we have. We have a sense of entitlement. We think that we've earned it. It's ours versus a sense of thanksgiving. That is God who gave us. That he is generous. That he is kind. Why don't we give? I think it's wrapped up in the person of God in our understanding and perception of who he is. See, if we truly believe this principle of whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, if we truly believe the principle, we would be far more generous. You know, I was thinking about how best to illustrate this, and with a little bit of nervousness, I thought that I would share a bit of my journey, my struggle with uh, learning to be uh, a faithful servant and trusting God as we walk, as I walk it out with him. 
You know, as a young kid, I was much like my son. I didn't understand why the plate was handed around, you know. I didn't ever reach in, as far as I can remember, to take money out. That's not, as far as I can remember, part of my experience. But I didn't understand it. As I walked with God more and more, it wasn't until university that I started to really understand the importance of having a discipline of giving, a regular giving. I was going to university at the time, and I can remember trying to be faithful, even in the midst of, you know, only a short season to raise money to get me through school. I learned to pray and to ask God for different things. I learned to be patient and to wait and not jump at the first thing that came my way. I remember when I was in seminary praying for a car because I needed a car to get from the church that I was interning at to the school and I needed good transportation. Oh, God showed up. I couldn't believe it. There was one car that I thought would be perfect and ideal and I, I wanted so bad to pick it up. I worked at a car sales lot. That's the worst place to work when you're looking to buy a car. I walked every day to work and man, I coveted all the time. It was terribly difficult. Finally, at the end of the summer, just as I was about to go off to school, I, I finally got the right car. It was a Cutlass Supreme, two-door, V8. Man, it rocked. I thought I was the coolest cat on the campus. I thought I was something else. I love that car. And I could undeniably say it was from the generosity of God. Did I say that right? I'm not sure I said that right. You know what I'm trying to say. You, I could not deny that it was God who gave it to me. He was so faithful. It was far better than the other car. And I, 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 think, I, I think I purchased it for two or $400. I can't remember. It was definitely under 500 And the reason I got it so cheap was because the back end needed a bit of a weld. And so I got it welded up and away we went. What a great car. God is good. You know, my journey continued on as I sought to walk with him, and I didn't grasp this whole concept of debt. No, I got myself in all kinds of debt, buying things that uh, I, I shouldn't have because I was lacking patience because I wasn't seeking the Lord. I, I just got a little bit out of hand a bit. You know, and then I met my beautiful wife. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she was Dutch, and not completely Dutch, but mostly Dutch, and that typically means that she was pretty good with her monies. I brought debt to our marriage, and she brought wealth. My debt exceeded her wealth, though I have to be honest. In the midst of that, let me just back up a little bit. I was pastoring at a church, and I was disciplining myself to give regularly to the Lord. I determined that 10% was the right place to land. As I sought the scriptures and sought God, it seemed like that would align with the heart of God. Why do I say that? Well, so often we hear that the New Testament teaches that you don't have to give 10%. We're free uh, from the law, and there's truth to that, absolutely. But my conviction became that, yes, Leviticus says that we need to give uh, 10% to the Lord. That's the law. 10% of all you receive under the law was to be given to the Lord. The first fruit, the first fruit. But what I couldn't shake was the truth that Melchizedek, uh, the, the high priest, the Christophany, the picture of Christ, when Abraham met him, pre-law gave 10%. Seemed to me that, that the heart of God was 10%. Why do I think that? Well, here it says give bountifully, give generously. Well, if we don't have some sort of concrete number to start with, what does that mean? Is that 40%? Is that 50%, 60%, 80%? What does it mean? 
Well, God in his nature and character said 10% is, is, is what I require under the law. And so from there, what does it mean to be bountiful? Well, some have understood that to be bountiful means to give more than 10%, 11%, or 12%. Friends, history says that some have given upwards of 90% of all that they have had access to. Could you imagine living on 10%, giving 90%? They understood this principle, the principle that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also Reap bountifully. No, that wasn't my experience. No, 10% was what I tried to faithfully get. And then I slowly started to learn to live within my means. Not going in debt. Trying my best to live outside of debt. Trying to live in my means. I remember begging the Lord to get me out of debt. I was convinced I'd learned the lesson. And I could hear the sweet whisper of God saying, Scott, I love you so much. This is such an important character issue. You don't hate debt enough, so I'm not going to get you out of trouble yet. <laughs> Eventually, the Lord freed me from the debt. He was faithful and just. And as much as possible, I try not to go back in debt. I try to live within my means as best as I'm able. And then beyond that, I, I want to practice this principle. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Listen, friends, when we trust God, when we walk in step with him, when we understand what the gospel has done for us, what Jesus Christ has done for us, it changes and transforms the way we live. See, this isn't just about finances. It's more than that. It's about our heart, our relationship, our walk with him. It's understanding how much he loves us and how passionate he is towards us. It's understanding that he is concerned about the little things and the big things and that he is trustworthy with all that you have. More than that, he has given it to you. He's the one who's been generous with us and so withholding it only hinders our walk with him and our understanding with him. I remember when God was really putting me to the test. He was kind of, in many senses, putting the binders on me a wee bit. I was a pastor at the church, and the Lord was saying, Scott, I'm calling you away from the church to serve in a faith-based ministry. What is that? Well, a faith-based ministry is when you don't collect a salary. What you do is you, you just receive as people give. So as I weighed the options and considered God, I said, okay, Lord, what do I have to lose? I guess I'll follow you. I was single, so I figured worst case scenario, some of my buddies, if I timed my visit just right, like, I don't know, five o'clock, I could probably always get a dinner. And if I timed a, another visit at noon, I'm sure I could find a lunch. It wasn't going to be too much trouble. It wasn't that high of a risk for me. I was single. It was easy. It wasn't so difficult. And so as I, as I uh, said yes to the Lord, I, I told the fellowship leadership, I said, in six months, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and walk by faith. The gospel is, it needs to do a work in my life. I need to know Christ better and know his provision and his faithfulness. As I stepped out and told the elders, I asked them not to tell anyone else because I was seeking to walk and step with the Lord and I didn't want others yet to know the time was not right. I knew I had payments, and I knew I had bills, and I slowly started to put together a leadership team. And as I sought to do that, uh, I, I put together a team of people. Uh, this fellow calls me up, and he says, Scott, I need to talk to you. I said, sure. He was a fellow from a different church, and I knew him loosely. I didn't know him real well. 
as we went out for lunch, he said, you know, Scott, God has put something really on my heart that doesn't make sense to me, and I hope that you can bring clarity to me. I said, what's that? He said, well, God has asked me, I don't know what you're doing. I know you've got a secure job at the church and you're a pastor and everything seems to be going well, but God is asking me to gather together other Christian um, businessmen and ask them to raise money for you. What's going on? I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I said, oh, do I got a story for you? He said, what's up? So I told him, I said, well, I just actually resigned from the church uh, not a month uh, before, two months before, but I said, I've told no one because I sense that the Lord is calling me to a faith-based ministry. He said, oh, that makes sense. God is stirring in my heart to help you out. And so, yes, we'll get on it. And so he did. God in his faithfulness pulled together uh, businessmen to help, help us move forward. As he put together the board, we implemented a few principles. The principles were such that we didn't want to uh, tell other people our needs. Instead, we would seek the Lord. In no way did we want to manipulate people. We didn't want to, uh, you know, uh, anyone to feel. We just thought, you know, God is calling us to talk to him. My board was far more confident in this uh, direction than I was, I have to admit. Although one guy on my board was uh, an accountant. He worked for the Royal Bank of Canada. I remember him sitting me down going, Scott, this will never work. This isn't going to work. He's one of my best friends and still is. He said, God, this just can't work. You have mortgage payment to make. You have all kinds of bills to pay. This ain't going to work. I said, well, bud, if it doesn't work, I'll be showing up at your place for supper. (laughs) Every night. (laughs) You know, friends, God is so faithful. He is. And not just in the, the, the exact needs, but he's so generous. It was during that season in my life, you'll appreciate this, or maybe not. I think I went to a couple of hockey games, Leaf games, <laughs> which maybe to you doesn't sound like a big deal, but in Ontario, you can't get a Leaf ticket. It's all owned by businesses. God is so generous and kind. He, he, he started to uh, give bountifully to me. It was unbelievable. He did a work in my heart. There were many dark nights of the soul where I wondered if God would provide. It was the 11th hour, and I'd wonder if I'd get myself in trouble. I wondered if I were going to be embarrassed or ashamed that, that I had stepped out in faith and God, God wasn't going to show up. Many dark nights of the soul, yet God, God in his faithfulness, God in his goodness would generously give. It was at that time I met Lynn, and as I mentioned, I, I had some debt and she didn't, and, and I can remember going on my first date with Lynn and thinking, man, I think she's the one. She's fantastic. Went on a second date, and at the second date, I said, hey, honey, why don't we get, I didn't say, hey, honey, she, she wasn't my honey then yet. I said, I said, I said, hey, would you like to go out for lunch on Thursday? I can still remember this. It was a Tuesday. Let's go out for lunch on, on Thursday. You know how you say something, and then you think, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that? My wallet was empty. I had no money, and here I am inviting her out for lunch. Yes, she's Dutch, but I didn't think it would go over too well. When I'm inviting her out for lunch, if I'm asking her to pay for both of us, wasn't sure if that would help us in our, our future relationship. I didn't want her to ask too many questions about how I made a living because I thought that would scare her off, as you could well imagine. I remember getting on my knees and saying, Oh God, I think she's the one. But if I'm embarrassed because as I go out uh, for lunch with her, if I can't pay, she's not going to want to hang out with me. Would you help? 
The next day, I stopped by a friend's house. It was a random visit. He was an older gentleman, had a vineyard. I used to love going over there and hanging out because uh, he also had cherry trees, and we used to call it grazing. We'd stand there and eat cherries and spit out the seeds on the grass. It was awesome. As we're hanging out, and I'm about to wrap up and leave, he hands me, I can't remember, $40, $50, $60, something to that effect. And I look at him, I go, oh, what are you doing? He said, oh, take that. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. (laughs) Pride. No, I'm fine, I said. No, 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 you take that, he said. I said, no, 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 it's all good. Again, we never told people our concerns or our needs. We just sought the Lord. I said, no, no, I'm okay. Thank you very much. He said, no, no, you take it. God told me to give you that. Hmm. God is so gracious and kind. I remember jumping in the vehicle and going, God, you care? You care about the little things like this? God, you care? God, you care about a lunch with a a young lady that I'm kind of interested? You care, God? Yes, he does care. Jesus Christ is our Lord. He died on the cross. God didn't even spare his son. How much more will he take care of all our needs? Friends, as we sow sparingly, so too shall we reap sparingly. The principle is throughout all creation. It declares that that if we sow sparingly, we'll also reap sparingly. However, friends, if we sow bountifully, if we're generous, if we hold loosely to the things that God has graciously given to us, listen, we will reap bountifully. God determines the way that he's going to give back to us. Friends, Friends, God has been so generous with me and my family, I cannot begin to express how thankful I am to him. And it's not, I am far from, uh, you know, walking this out. I, I don't want you to think, you know, I, got, I don't have it all together. But I, I, I seek the Lord. I try my best to, to be generous. I, I try my best to walk in step with him, to be in conversation with him. And God is generous. He is Are there lean times? Yeah, absolutely, because God needs to work on our character. That's part of his economy. He wants to transform us into the likeness of Christ. He wants us to learn about his faithfulness and his goodness. He wants us to learn how to walk with him. He wants us to learn how generous he is. It's his very nature to be generous. It's all about relationship, friends. He's our loving, heavenly father. He's not a CEO in the heavens. He's our loving Heavenly Father. We can trust Him with all that we have. We can trust Him and give generously to Him. Where our treasure is, there too is our heart. May our heart be, may our treasure, I'm sorry, be the Father God. May our treasure be Him. Look how Paul unpacks the rest of this. Each one of us must give as He decides in His heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why does God, why does Paul say that? Because it reflects the heart of God. How you understand God directly affects how you give, both financially and of yourself. He doesn't want you to give because you have to. He doesn't want you to give because you've been persuaded in a manipulative way. No, he wants you to give because out of the heart that Christ is transforming, you can't help yourself. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because it reflects our attitude towards him. God is able to make all grace abound, Paul goes on to say, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
God is able. He's not lacking in anything. God is sufficient in every way. God has everything at his disposal. And so he doesn't need us. We need him. We need him. He is sufficient in all things, and he bounds in every good work. Paul goes on to say he supplies the seed to the sower. Bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It is God at the core of everything we have. It's all about God. And so Paul, Paul brings it back to the gospel. You will be enriched in every way by the generous uh, way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of the service is not supplying the need of the saints. That's the, that's the catalyst. The church in Jerusalem is the catalyst for God to accomplish what it is he wants to do. It's the catalyst. It's, it's not about that. It's about him. But it also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. You see, by their approval of his service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession in the gospel of Christ. Friends, as Jesus Christ gets a hold of our lives when we yield and surrender to the lordship of him, how can we but be generous? How can we but be generous? Because that's the nature of Christ. He's the example. He left the glory of heaven and dwelt among us. He left all that is in heaven and dwelt among us. Why? Because he loves us. You see, in the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, in other words, when Jerusalem receives the gift that has been collected from Macedonia and from Corinth, the church of Jerusalem will go, wow, look at God. Look how he provided through the church of Macedonia and through the church of Corinth. Wow, look at God and his surpassing grace. He's been faithful to us through them. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. How wonderful it is. We are at a loss for words for his goodness towards us. Friends, let me ask you some questions as we get ready to transition to a baptism. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know God as Father. He died on the cross for you, calling his name that you may be saved. Friends, maybe you're here today and you're a new believer. And you didn't know that receiving Christ also meant so much more. It's about holding loosely to the things you have. It's about being thankful for the things you have. Friends, if you're a new believer, begin a conversation with him. Dive into the scriptures and allow him to lead and to guide you as to what you should give. It'll change and transform you. The gospel will. As you work out what it is God would give. Maybe, maybe you're here, friends. Maybe you're here, friends, and you've been given all your life, it's routine. Every Sunday you come with your, your gift. And you no longer think about it. Mm. Friends, maybe, maybe God's calling you to enter a conversation with him. And maybe he's asking you to give a little more. Would you enter in? Give bountifully that you may receive bountifully. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that your manifest presence and the work of your spirit would bring clarity and truth and move away anything that is unclean. 
Have your way, we pray, Father. Change and transform us into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen.